Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 1 Church. That was what you call an all-star lineup of songs and beautiful doctrine that we get to sing together. I love that song, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. That was an anthem for our family in a really difficult season of life. And it's just a, a wonderful thing to hear uh, our church family sing. So again, open your Bibles to Romans 1. It's an amazing thing to be saved, isn't it? I like just to think of the fact that each one of us could be anywhere else today doing who knows what, and yet God has sought fit to save us, and here we are singing the gospel together. That's, that's wonderful. What a glorious reality. If you're just joining us, by the way, and we're being introduced to the book of Romans, we have been introduced to the book of Romans the last couple of weeks, introduced to the Apostle Paul. His authority, his heart, and his gospel message. Uh, And so last week, that's what we looked at. Uh, Now Paul is heading into his main argument in the book of Romans. The Bible is a coherent book, right? It it, it doesn't just speak gibberish. It's not just random collection of fortune cookie sayings. But many of the books, including the book of Romans, lay out arguments to explain to us what's true about the world. And so what Paul is, is laying out is what one author called the race in ruin. There's none righteous. The whole human race is under the power of sin and the condemnation of sin. So the good news of the gospel is that God is saving people by giving unrighteous people righteousness, namely the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that righteousness is given by his perfect life, dying a perfect death, then being raised from the dead to prove God accepted his sacrifice. All who believe in him are given his righteousness. So I want to read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, because it's, it's where Paul begins to explain why the Gentiles, or as Francis Schaeffer has called them, the, the people without the Bible are under the condemnation and the wrath of of God. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, ending in verse 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up, notice that theme there, to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His word. Lord, we do thank You for Your sure, solid, inerrant, perfect, wise, insightful, penetrating word. We praise You that Your word is full of good news. Even when it makes us look at the bad news of our sin and your wrath, Lord, your heart is always to point us to the good news of the gospel. We ask that you would use this word to bless your people. That you would build us up. That you'd strengthen them. Hold your church together and build her up to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you set a, a door, a guard over the door of my mouth. Or that I might not sin against you, that you would use your word to form Christ in your new creation. We are in awe of what you do, Father, through the preaching of your word. pray that you would do it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to get this water. I left it. Thanks, honey. I want to begin this morning by asking you a a question. It's a question I sent out with a reading this week. It's a question that's going to kind of orient our minds around this text. The question is, have you ever experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God on your soul? Have you ever experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God upon your soul? Personally. Now, we don't even usually think about the wrath of God. And, and when we do... We certainly don't think about its positive effects. But we're led this morning by the text to to think deeply about the wrath of God, but also about its positive effects on our souls. Because what happens is when you look at the context in which Paul speaks about the wrath of God, it's very clear that understanding this is doing him good. And it's, it's doing good to those he hopes will read the book of Romans. Notice, we're we're called to think about the wrath of God when Paul says to us right off the gate in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So the word of God is calling you and I to remember that God executes judgment against sinners who sin against him. And in fact, that's what the wrath of God is. It's God's holy revulsion and destruction of all that's against him. Notice, the wrath of God is against something. Verse 18, right? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But if you look a little more closely, you'll notice that the wrath of God here is having a positive effect on the Apostle Paul's soul. In fact, let's look at that example. On Paul's soul, we'll see the example of the wrath of God having a positive effect. This is not a grump, by the way. We need to remind ourselves of that by reading verse 15 of, of chapter uh, 1, right? In verse 15, in Romans 1, 15, 
Paul says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul was ready to tell good news. He was ready to, he was, in fact, you could even translate that word eager. He desperately wanted to, to tell good news. He wants to tell them that Jesus died for your sins. He, he has an inner zeal to tell you the good news. And then he says, why? Watch, watch for the reasons. Look at all the fours in the scriptures that follow that tell us why Paul was ready to tell good news. First, because it has power. He says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Why? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. So Paul says, I want to tell you this because it actually has the power to lift you out of guilt and to bring you into a righteous standing. To lift you out of your spiritual deadness in bondage to sin and to take you to a place where you actually have the power to obey God. That's what the gospel does. The gospel can take you from knowing what is right to actually wanting to do what is right. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ready to preach it. And why am I ready to preach it? Because it has power. I'm also ready to preach it, he says in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So not only is he ready to preach the good news because it has power, but because it also reveals righteousness. We've seen this already in our study of the book of Romans, not simply this righteousness being the righteousness of God that is an attribute of who God is, not just that God is righteous and not just that God judges in unrighteousness, but, but the gospel reveals that God gives a righteousness to unrighteous sinners. He credits, he imputes the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, to those who only have unrighteousness in their account. Or if we can change the metaphor, he clothes those who are covered in filth and sin with the righteousness of Christ's perfect life. So no wonder he's ready, right? He says, I'm ready because the gospel is power. I'm ready because the gospel is righteousness. But this last one's going to throw us a bit. Because look what else motivates Paul to get ready to preach the gospel in verse 18. For, I'm also ready. Why? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you see that? The Apostle Paul is eager. He's ready to share the gospel. Why? Because he's aware of the wrath of God. Do you see that? He's aware of the wrath of God and that propels him to want to share the gospel. The gospel is not a message that comes out of nowhere, but it answers the great question of the great human problem that we are under the wrath of God. I want you to notice this. Knowing the wrath of God makes Paul more loving. I'm ready to tell you the gospel because I know what a bad state you are in. I'm ready to share the good news with you because I know what bad news is true of you. And so if you have this idea that the wrath of God only ever does bad things, you don't really have a biblical idea of the wrath of God. The Apostle Paul has, has seen the wrath of God have positive effects on his soul. It makes him more loving, makes him more concerned about his neighbor, makes him more eager and ready to preach the gospel, more zealous to do other people good. And so I just ask you again, 
Have you experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God on your soul? I ask that question not just because clearly the Apostle Paul is a good example for us. Since wrath moved him to share grace, wrath should move us to share grace as well. But I'm also asking this, secondly, for this example. Because you need to understand what Paul's doing right now in the book of Romans. The context is very important for us. His motive is very important for us to see this example of the positive effects of the wrath of God. We have to remember this, and I have to remember this constantly, because even though it may take us months or years to preach through the book of Romans, it, it would have originally been read in one setting. Right? Which means we're just a few minutes away from getting actually to Romans 12, even though we're a few years away from probably preaching Romans 12. But if we're reading this for the first time, we're just minutes away from, from Paul saying this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And actually what Paul is saying in Romans 1.18 is meant to make believers in awe of God's mercies. That, that's what he's saying in verse 18. It is meant to make believers in all of God's mercies. Remember this. Remember this. That, that even though we're all familiar with the Romans road, right? That Romans makes a tremendous evangelistic tract, right? Romans is a great way to explain the gospel to unbelievers. That's true. But remember, first and foremost, the book of Romans was written to encourage believers and to strengthen them in their knowledge of the gospel. Right? Remember what Paul says in in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. He says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He he wants believers to know the love of God. He wants them to live their lives in view of the mercies of God. He wants them to be overwhelmed by the grace of God that is with them. And so what does he do? He explains to them the wrath of God. Because he thinks the wrath of God will do them good. That they will better appreciate mercy if they have a thorough understanding of God's wrath. So when when Paul is walking us through the darkness of humanity in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, through the race in ruin, through the guilt and condemnation of sin, through the depravity of man, the end result is a greater appreciation of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you uh, have bought a diamond before. I know that you look at me and you're like, that's a guy that's definitely bought a diamond before. Um, But believe it or not, I have. Uh, I had to put it on my wife's finger um, in order for her to marry me. That was the deal. Uh, No, um, but typically, when you walk into the jewelry store, I've noticed they're not really eager to show you the cheap ones, right? That's not how they work. They don't operate. But but what they generally do is they, they cover everything with glass. And then when you're ready to look at your diamond, they whip out this little piece of black velvet. And they lay it down on the glass, and then they place your diamond down on the black velvet. Why? Because when you place that diamond down on the black velvet, you begin to see even more clearly and beautifully how it shines. The reason the Apostle Paul would make us think so deeply about the wrath of God is because he wants us to see how bright and beautiful the gospel really is. 
The gospel shines best as a diamond for the soul when it is laid against the black velvet of the wrath of God. So I ask you again, have you personally experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God on your soul? Now I'm going to begin to answer the question. My my first answer to that question, these are all answers I'm anticipating for you, by the way. The first answer to that question is probably not. You probably have not experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God is misunderstood, particularly in our day. You have probably not experienced that very deeply and very profoundly because the wrath of God is misunderstood, particularly in our day. You've probably not experienced much of the benefits of God's wrath on your soul because the wrath of God is diminished, downplayed, and misunderstood. It's considered below the character of God. In our day, it's considered certainly below modern preaching to focus in on God's wrath. And let's just think of some of the ways the wrath of God is viewed. Uh, first, it's viewed as outdated, isn't it? The wrath of God is viewed as some sort of archaic leftover from a grumpy Victorian period where people were judgmental and they had these strong views of righteousness and, and God condemning the wicked. It's, it's viewed as some leftover form of a darker time. In fact, a New Testament commentator, C.H. Dodd, viewed the wrath of God not as God's active punishment against sin. That would be below him. It's more just God handing you over to the consequences of your actions. But that's really not the wrath of God at all. We saw, as we read through Romans 1, he handed them over. He handed them over. He gave them up. He didn't let them go their own way. He actively gave them over to sin in his wrath. The wrath of God, though, is not just viewed as outdated. It's, It's also just neglected. The wrath of God is viewed as outdated. It's also neglected. Modern preachers... Look at modern congregations and think to themselves, how am I going to reach these people? Right? They're not thinking about the, the wrath of God. They're not going to bed every night scared that they're going to hell. They're, they're thinking about money, about their finances, about their kids, about their marriages, or even the lack thereof. And honestly, look, that, that's true. I know you. I know me. You think about your money and your marriage and your kids and your lack thereof. And so preachers respond to that by saying, well, well, listen, we've got to address the people where they are. We've got to start with what they're thinking about. But the problem with that is that it assumes that God doesn't have anything to say that you may not already be thinking about. Of course he has something to say that you may not be thinking about. Now listen, there's nothing wrong. Obviously, we've addressed that. We address things like marriage and money, singleness, and children from the Scriptures. In fact, come to our grow class on Wednesday night. We're doing that right now. Because why? The Scriptures speak to those very issues. But they're never considered the main issue that the human soul must deal with. The main thing that you and I must deal with is the wrath of God. Friend, there is precious little difference between the single person who goes to hell and the married person who goes to hell. The rich person that goes to hell and the poor person that goes to hell. In fact, the wrath of God is the great equalizer. It is our greatest problem. It is what we must understand if we're going to understand the glory of the gospel. So the wrath of God is viewed as outdated. It's passed over. It's also neglected. But my least favorite one, and the one I have had conversations with pastors over and over again, I see it in Baptist churches, it's apologized for. 
I had, a, I had a conversation not too long ago with even a local pastor who said he was preaching on God's wrath and he just hated it. I, I hate that. <laughs> the preacher gets up and says, now listen, hell's not my idea. If it was up to me, I wouldn't tell you about this wrath stuff. But God in the Bible has revealed this to us, so I have to preach it. Like the preacher is nicer than God. <laughs> like If we could just hear what the preacher has to say, we'd all be fine. But sadly, that preacher has to tell us about God. That's ridiculous. There is nothing to apologize for about the wrath of God. In fact, in many ways, the wrath of God is good news. The wrath of God means there will not be an endless human history of sexual abuse, of prostitution, of war, of famine, injustice, and all kinds of ungodliness. There will come a day when God will end it all, judge it all, and will say enough. In that sense, the wrath of God is very sweet and precious, never to be apologized for. The wrath of God is, is not one of God's unfortunate imperfections. It is yet one more of His perfect attributes. God is righteous. And if you really love righteousness, then you hate all that is against righteousness. So let me ask you again. Have you experienced the positive effects on the wrath, of the wrath of God on your soul? My first answer is probably not because it's misunderstood in our day. My second answer is that you should, because it's biblical. You should experience the positive effects of the wrath of God on your soul, because it's biblical. It's a biblical idea. It's something that comes to us from God's perfect word that is able to build us up for righteousness. It's able to build us up to a life and live a life that is actually pleasing to him. We know that it's biblical because of this passage right in front of us, which, which I'm using to introduce this section. But I want you to notice what, what even this passage in the Bible tells us about God's righteousness. This passage tells us that the, the wrath of God is revealed. All right, that The wrath of God is revealed. So again, this is not some idea that, that preachers made up, but rather something the Bible, the Holy Spirit, reveals to us. It's not something even mentioned once. We see it again in the book of Romans chapter 2, verse 6. This is one of the most terrifying passages on the wrath of God in the whole Bible. This is one that for many, many nights has kept me up thinking about my own wickedness and difficulty in, in life that I, I struggle with. But look at verse 6. Speaking of God, Paul writes this. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Just like we stop right there and be like, that's a problem, Right? At the end of time, there will be a judgment according to works. And then he says in verse 7, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That is, those who believe the gospel, those who have been justified by faith, who now seek to walk in holiness, they will receive eternal life. Not something that they have earned, but as something that displays God's grace in their life. And then verses 8 and 9, he says, But to those who are self-seeking, and do not obey truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. Do you see those words? Those are heavy, right? Wrath, indignation, righteous anger, tribulation, judgment, anguish. This is not some cool reaction to wickedness. 
Friend, God hates sin. Look, Jesus spoke of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The the truth of God's wrath is unthinkably terrible. And notice again who it comes upon. Those who are self-seeking. I'll tell you one aspect of sin everyone in this room understands. And that is, without Christ, we are self-seeking. We are all about me. My comfort, my righteousness, my good life, my way. And God says, the worst infliction, the worst punishment in anger of an eternal God will land on the heads of those who are self-seeking. The the great Anglican pastor J.I. Packer wrote this. In his book, The Attributes of God, or I'm sorry, in his book, Knowing God, which is about the attributes of God. Knowing God, if you haven't read it, you, you, just, you got to. Um, I'm making you. Uh, I don't think I have that power, but I'm telling you now to read it. J.I. Packer wrote this. He says, one of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both testaments emphasize the reality and terror of God's wrath. Beloved, the wrath of God is, is everywhere. It's promised in Genesis 2 and executed in the book of Revelation. It's there from start to finish in the Bible. But what's amazing about God saying so much about His wrath is that when you read all the Bible says about it, it cuts through the caricatures, the lies, the distortions of God's wrath. Think about it. Very often, God's wrath is described merely in human terms. It seems like He flips out. He flies off the handle. Like he's capricious, like he he has a fit of rage, like he's some mad dad who's just lost it on his kids. Or some mom who is having a cosmic meltdown with her toddler. God is sort of viewed as this divine version of human wrath. But nothing could be further from the truth. God's wrath is not God flying off the handle at all. His fury is not something that he slips into, but rather it's something settled. I want you to know that about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is settled. What do I mean by that? It's a fill in the blank there. Your wrath of God is settled. It means that it's something he's very capable of executing slowly. I'll give you an example, right? God, God said to Adam and Eve, on the day that you rebel against me, the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day you disobey me, you shall surely die. Then they don't. They, they eat the fruit, and they don't die. Now, certainly in one sense, they, they spiritually died. Immediately they were cast out of God's presence, but they were given breath for hundreds of more years. Adam lived to a very old age, an age none of us will ever get to, but, but he did die. God did not fly off the handle and butcher him in a second, but he never relented from his death sentence against Adam, did he? In the days of Noah, days which almost every human culture has a record of, this, this great flood where God says the thoughts of mankind were only evil continually. God says, I will destroy all flesh. He's going to drown everyone. It's the greatest demonstration of the wrath of God outside of the cross. The worldwide destruction by the flood in the days of Noah, but God announces it. And then years go by. Before finally, God drowns every living soul except eight who saves, he saves in the ark. You go to Exodus when Israel is in slavery in Egypt. God says to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. And Pharaoh says, 
Pharaoh responds to that with, who is God? Oh, that would have been a brilliant moment for God to destroy him right there. Who is God? I'll show you who God is. Fly right off the handle. But there's nothing like that in a fit of rage and God's anger or wrath. There's, there's nothing out of control about it ever. God never loses his composure. He's never out of control to his own attributes. They always function in the perfection and majesty of his own glory. So he brings one plague against Pharaoh, and then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And only after all that resistance does God open up the Red Sea, march Pharaoh's army in, and drown every last one of those who are part of this most powerful army on earth. God's wrath is a settled disposition to destroy those who have rebelled against him. Friend, if, if you're here and you're in secret sin, or you're here and you're just, you're just walking in sin... If you're not a believer this morning and you are thinking, well, nothing bad's happening to me. So I must not be under God's wrath. Oh, friend, you are making all kind of wrong assumptions. If you're still breathing, the kindness of the Lord to you isn't meant to make you think everything is okay between you and the big guy. But in the words of Romans 2, it is meant to lead you to repentance. If you've got breath in your lungs, then you are being invited into mercy. The wrath of God is not only viewed as God being out of control, which it is never, but it's also viewed as as maybe God being unjust or unfair. But let me tell you, the Bible tells us very clearly that God's wrath is just. It is just. I don't know if you've, you've ever had a professor in college. One day they take like 20 minutes to explain something really complicated, really fast, really confusing. And then they tell you, by the way, there's going to be a test tomorrow. And of course, like a good student, you just go right ahead and fail that. But you're mad about it, right? Because it wasn't fair. You didn't know the material. There wasn't a proper ground for you to be judged by. Such is not the case with the wrath of God. He has given every chance for people to know him, understand him, and to know how they're called to respond to him. Just look at our passage again this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, he's made it clear. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are, get this, clearly seen. Notice that the Bible here is not only proclaiming that God has revealed himself in creation. It's not just that God's revealed himself. It also reveals that God is clearly seen in in creation. So that it's, it's not only shown, it's received. What Romans 1 tells us, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That means there's no excuse for not worshiping and thanking God. I just remember my freshman year of college in biology, where they told me over and over again that it all came from evolution, this Big Bang. That's basically scientific fact now. And they say that we're basically because it's not. Um, so it's a lie. Uh, so then the week after, right, the week after telling me all this, they hand me a picture of a cell. Have you ever looked at the picture of a cell? Which makes it clear 
God made it all. You, you simply can't stare at anything with the complexities of this world and come to a different conclusion. We are a culture that has been allowed to look up into the skies through telescopes and down in the cells and amoebas through a microscope. You can look at anybody's front door through Google Maps all over North America, despite how Ron Swanson feels about that, right? It's just unbelievable the scope that we've been allowed to see in this creation. Advances of modern medicine, our awareness of the human body, and yet to look at all of those complexities and say, what a lightning bolt it must have been. What a pond so long ago. Oh, by millions and millions of freak accidents and chances, here we are today. God's wrath is not his unfair judgment against sinners who didn't know any better. His righteous judgment is against sinners who knew all too well they should worship him and thank him. God's wrath finally is not only settled and just, it's revealed. God's wrath is consistent as well. Some people will say this. They'll say, oh, judgment, oh, wrath. That's, that's all Old Testament business. That's actually what the ancient heretic Marcion said. The Old Testament God is full of wrath and fury. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus. Beloved, let me remind you. Where Romans is in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, we we see Jesus stepping on sinners and squeezing the blood from their bodies in his wrath and fury. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. The biblical picture we receive of the wrath of God is not one of God being out of control, not one of God being unfair, not one of God being one way in one testament and another in another testament. God's wrath, as John Murray says, is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction to his holiness. So I ask you again, have you ever experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God on your soul? My last answer is not only should you because it's biblical, but you should because it's personal. It is. There's there's really a danger in reading Romans 1 all wrong, isn't there? The, The danger comes in just how penetrating this text is. In fact, a lot of times I just know when I'm reading Romans 1, I feel like I'm watching the news. There's a sense in which, though, that this is the only lens we should watch the news through. But, but let me remind you, for the sake of argument, that Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, was written well before there was ever such thing as an America. It's not simply a commentary on American culture. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, is not simply meant even to teach us about the unbeliever. It's not meant to show us what's happening in terms of the cultural trends, though it does that, and we'll see that in the coming weeks. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, was written to the Gentiles of the Roman church to remind them, this is who you were. It was meant to affect us. It was meant to speak to believers who are loved by God, and not simply to give them tools to critique the unbelieving world, but instead to be in awe of us. Beloved, we've seen God. 
on beaches, on the grass that pushes up through sidewalks, on mountains, on nature shows that are mind-blowing. We have seen more of the glory of God than any other generation before. We have seen God in creation. And we have rejected God. Even though He knocks at our conscience that He created, even though His creation speaks to us 24-7, year after year, God has been speaking to you about Himself, and somehow we managed to go years without listening. Years ignoring Him, suppressing the truth, not following Him, not thanking Him, not glorifying Him, but seeking ourselves. Even though all of creation is going, it's about God, it's about God, it's about God. We were this little light in creation going, no, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And we were handed over. I know this congregation. You were handed over to pornography and fornication. Not just them. But you, you were sleeping around. You were homosexuals. You were rebelling against your parents. You were malicious. You were gossips. We don't need to look any further. We don't need to turn on the news. You and me, this is the human story. This is the story of all cultures, and it's even the story of all individuals. Friends, I, I was handed over to pornography from the earliest of days. I was handed over to promiscuity. I was given over to the wrath of God beyond my control. I couldn't stop myself. I was handed over to being disobedient to my parents. Listen, that's not a natural phase that teens go through. It's the wrath of God handing you over. You're so in love with yourself, you can't agree with any parent telling you what to do. You are handed over. And in that position of being handed over, I had no way back. I had no power back. All I could do was try to silence my conscience with self-righteousness or more pleasures. I was the revelation of the wrath of God. And now, friends, I honestly love one woman. I mean, I really do. Just all the time. And, And I actually love to read God's word. What has happened? God in His grace has removed His hand of wrath. And what He's done, He's taken all of that wrath and He's poured it on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that there is no more wrath for me or for anyone else who trusts in Him. And He has given me Christ's righteousness so that now I am under His righteousness. I'm given the life of His Holy Spirit. That's what's going on in the Gospel. So I'm asking you... Have you ever personally experienced the positive effects of the wrath of God upon your soul? Though you've gone astray, though you've rejected His constant calling and creation, though you have suppressed His truth, you, my friend, if you're in Christ, have received mercy, righteousness, and a new life. This is the glory of God, and there is no gospel appreciation without it. And so listen, if you are motivated, therefore, to share the gospel, don't just try to get more motivated. Understand this. You were under the wrath of God. And He took you from under His wrath and saved you through His Son. So so when you look at other sinners, you simply go, you are where I was. And I want to tell you how to get out. Because I've seen it. I've had it happen to me. The power of God has been so active in my life. If you want to just praise God more, friend, what you need is meditation. 
Do you know what meditation is? It's, it's that state that happens when you turn off your phone and you think about something for more than three seconds. It's what meditation is. It's, it's when you chew on an idea. When you ask God to, to give you light. To keep it in your mouth like a, like a cough drop. To chew on it like bubble gum. Run it over and over in your mind. And so look, here's your homework assignment for the week. You ready? It's in your, it's in your bulletin. If you don't have this, you can listen to the sermon online. You can also just grab a bulletin. It's all in there. Your homework assignment is to meditate. Meditate. We're going to go through this text again. But we're going to meditate on it. Here's the first question to meditate on. Where have I seen glory in creation? Just, just get real specific. Which beach, which yard, what bird, what picture of creation? Where have you seen glory in creation? Second, how have I suppressed it in unrighteousness? Kept it down. Kept it hidden. Silenced it. Third question, where was I handed over to wrath? Me. Which sins? Where was I handed over to wrath? And then finally, what has Christ done for me in the gospel? You think about that, and I will tell you exactly something it's going to do. It's going to make you ready to preach the gospel. It's going to make you rejoice in the gospel. And it's going to be the wrath of God having positive effects on your soul. Let's take some time now to just, to just meditate. We're going to take a moment of silence here at the end of our service as we always do. We're going to reflect on God's word. We're going to, we're going to cry out to him for mercy if we're here and we are struggling right now in this feeling like we're being handed over, we've been handed over to sin, understanding the mercy that's available to us through Christ. We're going to take some time now to repent, to respond. If you do not know Christ, oh, would you hear today what glorious things happen in the gospel? Do you see what he's done for you? Would you repent and be saved? Take that time even now to just call out to the Lord and ask him to change your heart, to change your desire, to change your will, to submit to him as Lord and Savior of your life. Or maybe you're You're just struggling with having these positive effects of the wrath of God in your soul. Meditate on the goodness of the gospel in this time, and then we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your marvelous, matchless grace. We thank you for even the perfection that is your wrath. We ask, Father, that you would strengthen us according to your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.